Our reading this morning will be out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Now this I say, who, who, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for such promises that um, you provide all we need and uh, just so that we can be uh, generous to others, Lord. Just put that on our hearts um, to do so, to, uh, Lord, in everything, uh, whether it's um, you know in goods that we have or just in our time or whatever it might be, Father, to trust in you to be our a source for this, Lord, to be generous, to be loving, kind, etc., by your grace. We uh, pray for our time in the Word now, that Steve would speak your words um, by your might and just give them clarity. Help us to understand it, Lord, that we might be ones who are generous, Lord, who have these marks of a Christian that he will go over. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Glad you could be here. Hope Bible Church today, indeed a wonderful day that the Lord has given us those songs, two of those songs we sang, Psalm 36. Um, this must have been this past year I was reading it, and, and I think that psalm about as good as any, maybe as good as any passage, talks about the love that God has for us. We sang, I think, three verses, but it's five through ten. You have to look at them again yourself. It is just loaded with truth about the love that God has for us and the relationship that he wants us to have with him. It's just, it's just phenomenal. Then that next song, I'm so glad we sang that. We'll have to definitely sing that one again. Of course, he will. We plan to anyway. Oh, how I love Jesus. And starting, this is starting, I think, Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, and then the next Sunday. We have three Sundays in a row we're going to focus more on Christ. And so and I'm looking forward to that because, indeed, that's the center uh, of our lives is Christ, of course, and the Father and the Spirit as well. But anyway, we do continue on this, this subject of, of marks of maturity. This is our last section of three. There's nine before. If you haven't heard them all, get the notes, or uh, you can go listen to sermon audio and listen online. In any area of life, whether it's being a mother, uh, a nurse, uh, or a teacher, a plumber, an engineer, whether it's being a student, uh, there are qualities that you need to have to be excellent, to be successful, and so too as a Christian. Uh, there's qualities that we need to have to be excellent, to be the godly person, to be the mature person that God wants us to be. And we've been talking about all these qualities, and there's three more today that I want to finish up with. The first one is on godly speech. 
I had planned way back in the fall to teach on this, and so let me just explain briefly what's going on. But I think I got sick one weekend in November, and so it got put aside, and so it's still future. So it's going to be, I think, as it, a couple weeks from now, we're going to be talking about a whole message on speech, but this is just really a shortened version of that. But the, th- the thing is this, it, it's wonderful that God made us as people that we can communicate with speech, with words. And God, and of course we know that animals communicate too, we all understand that, but, but animals sure can't communicate like we can, not at all. God made us so we can be very precise, very exact in our communication, in our speech. He made us so we could talk, you know, softly or, or loudly or excitedly or passionately or soberly or lovingly. He, 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 we can do all these different things as people. But the most important reason for speech is what? It's so that we can worship God, so that we can sing to him, that we can talk to him and pray to him. Psalm 9, I, I love these couple verses here. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. All those thoughts there relate to speech, that God wants us to use our speech, our mouths, our, our hearts, too, with that, to sing to him. Another reason for speech is so that we can proclaim the truths of God, and so we can proclaim the works of God and the deeds of God, and also, of course, that so we can share the gospel. I mean, these are primary ways we need to use the speech that God has given us. And, of course, we're to encourage people with our speech. The Bible says encourage one another day after day. That should be a goal of ours, to try to encourage people that worth every day. And at times, too, we might even correct people with our speech. And so we can serve God with our speech. And it's important that we think about this, about how we can serve God with our speech. We oftentimes, and I've said this before, we think about what we can do. But do you think about what you can say? Very important. We, we just not like that. We, we think, oh, what am I going to do today? No, what are you going to say today? That kind of question, I believe, should be on our minds as well. We need to speak lovingly, kindly, patiently, and compassionately, as it says so well in that one phrase in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. You all know this, that if someone's trying to tell you something, to tell you the truth, but they, they speak it in a harsh or unkind way, then it's hard to listen to them. You all know that. Oftentimes, marriages, the couples are trying to communicate, but they're speaking it in the wrong way. They're, they might be sharing truth, but because they don't speak in a loving way. It is so important that we need to learn, learn to speak truth, but speak it then in a, in a loving way. We need to speak wisely and clearly in a way that people can understand. This is what God wants for us. And if somebody, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, you're not sharing it right. Well, yeah, we, at our, it is our job. It's, it's incumbent upon us to do all we can to speak clearly to others. We don't want to talk foolishly about things that aren't important, things that are vile, impure, or obscene. It says in Ephesians 5, it says, There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. I've been hearing more in the news lately about comedians and the freedom comedians have to say what they want to say. And and I, 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 I don't ever, I mean, the only time I'll hear a comedian is if he's on some little news clip. I just don't like it. And I don't really think most of us should like modern-day comedians because they don't talk very godly. I mean, unless they're a Christian, but I don't know any Christian comedians. So be very careful. And so, but in, com- in general with our speech, we don't want to talk foolishly or just in, in, in a wrong way that's, that's, that's unrighteous. We don't want to talk in a way that's arrogant, that is boastful or puts others down. We don't want to talk in a way that hurts others or maligns others, or that slanders others. We 
don't want to talk in a way that's crumbling, complaining or grumbling. Very easy to do. It's, it's one of the easiest things that a person can do, and we all do it to some extent. Nobody's perfect in this. I'm convinced of this. It's, it's one of the most common sins that we have. We want to be positive. We want to be uplifting in our speech. We want our speech to be that which shows faith. This, this one verse, if, if, if I could say this one verse, my favorite on speech, I'd probably say it's this one I'm going to read now, not right now. You know it, Ephesians 4.29. Says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so it might give grace to those who hear. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only such a word gives grace to those who hear. That that's powerful. That's a tough one. How are you guys doing to that verse every day? I mean, it's just and it's something to shoot for. And and that's that's the whole point here is God help me to be a better communicator, a better speech or using the, the tongue and the heart that God has given me. Godly speech, of course, we don't want to lie. We don't want to tell half-truths. We don't want to deceive people. We don't want to flatter people. There's so many different aspects of speech. I mean, there are just many, many. Godly speech, of course, is important for good relationships, whether you're talking about family or friends or somebody here in the church. As I sort of indicated before, oftentimes marriages have problems because there's not good speech. There's not good speech. And, and, and you, you talk to some couple and they're newlyweds and stuff, and probably one of the most common things they'll talk about is, well, we're learning how to talk to each other. You know, that we heard that, that communication. We're learning how to communicate. Well, that's true. That's what marriages do. They help there to be better communication, precise communication, loving communication. And, and many times, even with Marcia, there's, there's things I think I'm saying. No, don't say it. And I have to, so even in a relationship where you're with somebody that's it's a common, you know, you know them well, oh, I can say whatever. No, you don't say whatever you want to say. You need to guard your heart and mind in any relationship, in the communication. Uh, godly speech, of course, is, is important for uh, jobs. Uh, if you work at a, a job, you all know this. You have to have good communication at your job, you know, clear, uh, truthful, honest communication. How do we grow in our speech? I, there's many things I could say. I'm just going to just, you know, mention a couple things. First of all, just think about God's word and think about God's works. That is, your mind needs to be that which is godly. Think about God's word. Think about God's work, God's works. Think about that which is right and true, that which is lovely and honorable. Think about these things. Because if, you, if you're thinking rightly, you'll speak rightly. That, that's just the way it is. If you're thinking rightly, you will speak rightly out of the mouth. Out of the mouth comes that which is in the heart. That verse in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, As a man thinks, so he is. Really basic basic. The speech comes from the heart. So you got to think about your heart, what's going on in your heart, and preparing your heart, and thinking about good things. It's good then, as I said before, to think about what you're going to say. Like, if you're going to get with some people, you know, whether for lunch or just to visit, whatever, think about what you're going to say, how you can encourage that person, how you can help that person with your speech. Again, this is, this is not, I'll say, easy. God gives grace to help us, but we just don't think this way. Oh, we see somebody start talking. But how can you encourage that person with speech? What can you say? What can you do uh, in an area of speech? Hebrews 10.24, um, the writer says, Consider how to, inc- how to stimulate one another love and good deeds. And the word consider, I was looking it up, it's an intensive. Really think. Really think. Consider. Take time to think about how to c- stimulate others to love and good deeds. How else can you grow in your speech? Listen to others who are wise and godly in their speech. Learn from them. Listen. Just listen to other people who speak. Hey, that guy 
person knows how to speak. Listen to them. Learn from them. Secondly, be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. We read in Mark 13, the, the uh, verse there about persecution, and, and Jesus is saying there in that context that we, as we're persecuted, God, by His Spirit, will help us to know what to say. So it's a dependence, because sometimes you're going to a situation, and you, know, you hadn't planned for this situation, this communication, whatever. God's Spirit will help. So you say, Spirit, help me to know what to say here. Help me to say what I should say. And pray. Ask God to help you to grow in speech, to be more godly. And one, one more thing, and we're going to see this more in a couple of weeks when I talk more on speech, but read the Word. It tells you a lot about a lot of things, and particularly I would say read Proverbs chapters 10 through 20, maybe 24 or 5, but 10 through 20 is a lot. You'll probably be able to write down, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, and I'm going to have most of these verse, verses written out in a couple of weeks. You'll have a, a handout back there, and there'll be 60, 70 verses right there alone. It tells you. A lot of the things I've said here about how to speak in just verse after verse after verse, and it's really, really excellent. Okay, secondly, so that's speech. That's an important area. Let's talk about being a good steward. The subject of being a good steward is a very important subject. It relates to every one of us who are here. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. There's a couple sections, and we're going to look at, I think, most of them here, a couple of them here, that talk about speech, but they're talking about being a steward. Luke 16, 1 and 2, Jesus was saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. This manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So the rich man in this context, of course, is God. And God is one who owns everything, everything in the world, as it says in the uh, Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Okay? Back in the first century, century, most all rich people had a manager. It's also called a steward. And a steward was to manage the rich man's, the owner's possessions. That's what he was to do. And he was then to use them for the purposes of the manager, for the good of the, you know, the, the farm or operation or whatever this person was doing. That's what he was to do. And so, too, as a Christian, this is important, one of the most important points of the whole message right here. As a Christian, you're a steward. You're a manager. It's who you are. And I don't know if you think about this every day of the week, but you should. You're a steward. You're a manager. God has given you certain things, and we're going to go over those in a minute, and you're to manage them. You're to use them for God's purposes and glory. And if you miss this, you are missing so much. So please listen up. I've got two pages on being a steward, one on being uh, speech and one on hope. So I guess maybe the Lord said this is very important. So being a steward, again, do you see yourself as one who is a steward? Do you see yourself as a manager? Probably most of you have been at a job. I assume most of you have been at a job. You had a manager, a boss, right? I remember back in the 70s, Ed Buckman. I was there, Woolworths there when I was in high school, you know, and I had a job to do. I had to wash the windows. I had to sweep the floor. I had to check in freight. I had to go to the post office. I had to bring up freight to the, the workers upstairs. Um, I was down in the basement with all the freight. So all these things I had to do, and he was the manager. E.H. Buckman, that was his name. I always remember E.H., a little short guy. <laughs> But he was a manager. He had to do what he said. So you're a manager. You see that? Again, do you see that you are a manager? You are a steward. Now, Luke 19, 11 to 13. Read these verses. 
Luke 19, verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. They supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return, and he called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minus, and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Do business. That's what he wants for us. He's pictured as a nobleman. And he gave to each of these slaves some money, and these slaves were to use this money for their manager, for the, for, their, for the rich man, for the owner, and they were to use it until he came back. That's what they were to do while he was gone. And for us, what that means is that God gives us things, we're to use them while he is in heaven, okay? And then the time will come when Christ will come back, and we, each of us, it's a personal thing, will have to give an accounting to God of how we used what he gave us, Okay? That's important to understand. Okay, now let's just talk. I'm going to go very briefly here. And, and then maybe I might have missed something, but i got six different points here. What, what has God given us? He's given us the body we have. It says in Psalm 139 that, that God has made us. He's married us very precisely, you know, and, a, and, and a wonder, fearfully and wonderfully made is what it says there. And then it's looking at Jeremiah 1, which I really, I think it's verse 4, maybe it's verse 5. Speaking of Jeremiah, uh, he says to him, I formed you in the womb. Before you were born, and I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nation. So what we see is that God made Jeremiah a very special way while he was in his mother's womb so that he then could do the work that God wanted him to do. And I think that way for all of us here. God made you a very special way, very unique. Every one of you unique. Every person in the world is unique. And God gave you the abilities and the gifts and everything. So we'll talk about this in a minute so you can do what he wants you to do. That's it. That's it. Okay, very, very simple. So the body, which means take care of your body. Take care of it. I'm not going to go into all the details about how you can take care of your body, you know, food, exercise, rest, or whatever. There's many thoughts there. I'm just telling you in general that you are to manage your own body. You are in charge. You are in charge. Okay? God gave you charge of your own body. Very simple, basic stuff, but think about this. This is the truth. Secondly, God's given us talents and abilities. We're not... Not self-made people were God-made people. Thirdly, God has given us the money we have. Whether we have the money by working or whether we get the money from some other source, God is sovereign, and ultimately God is the one who gives you the money you have. Understand that? That's what it is. Yeah, you can work hard and make money, and people you see people out there who have a lot of money, that's fine. God is the one who is sovereign over all that you have financially, monetarily. Fourth, God gives us our possessions. Our car, our house, our clothes, our food. Even that verse, and you might wonder why that verse is there, the verse in Matthew six eleven, Give us this day our daily bread. And sometimes I think, well, maybe that's going to be when it really gets rough and men have no food for the day, you know. And I was listening to this person the other day. She was in, oh, she escaped from Korea. And uh, she was talking every day, man, what are we going to eat? You know, they'd eat bark off trees and they'd eat leaves and stuff like that. They found things to eat, but... The point is this, is every day you should pray that. You say, well, I got all this food. I know what I, all this food in my house, all these cans and stuff. I mean, y'all have food. I mean, we live in a pretty rich country. And you might say, well, I don't have money. Well, we all have a lot compared to other countries. But you still should pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Recognizing then that the food you have is what God gives you. Okay? It's from him. It's his gift to you. God also then gives us spiritual gifts. This verse, my favorite, 1 Peter 4. Let's go there. 
1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. Is that word stewards? As stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So ultimately we see the purpose here of all these things is that God gets glory, stated very clearly in that verse 11. And so this word steward is the same one that was used in Luke 16.1. What we also see here in verse 1 Peter 4 is that, that this is God's gift to you. This is by God's grace. Again, understanding that what you have, what God gives you, and here we're talking about spiritual gifts, but whatever it is, is it's not what you deserve. It's not what you can earn. It's not what you can work for. It's, it's, it's what God gives you. This spiritual gift here in this context, God gives it to you. Turn to Ephesians 3, 7. Paul's speaking about this for his own life, but it really applies to each of us here. And I, I, I like this, how it says it. Ephesians 3, 7. Paul's talking, talking, of which I was made a minister or a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Again, what you have here in this context, we're talking about spiritual gifts. It's what God gives you. It's by his working in your life. That's, that's what we're saying here. God has given us the final one here. God has given us the time we have, okay? It's pretty obvious. We all know we don't live, you know, we don't all live exactly 70 years or 80 or whatever. We have a certain amount of time. We, that's pretty clear. We see in Psalm 139 that God has ordained the number of days that we live the exact number of days, and these days are given to us by God so we then can do the work that he wants us to do. That, that's very basic. God gives you time so you can serve him, so you can work in the way that he wants. So all these things here, the body you have, the talents you have, and I differentiate between talents and spiritual gifts, okay? All of you, I believe, have certain talents. I've got some talents and others I know have other talents, you know, terms of abilities. Talents, money, possessions, spiritual gifts, and time. Six areas. And again, you're the manager, right? You get it? You got this point? You got this? You're unique because of the way God made you, so never, ever compare yourself to someone else. You know, we, we talk about you'll give an accounting, and I think you understand this from the workplace. If you guys are at a workplace I know some of you here probably have job reviews, right? A job review. And I thought maybe I should do this in the next week or two. Just bring up a sheet and have all these six areas here and have one to ten. You mark yourself how you think you're doing in the area of finances or taking care of your body or using your spiritual gifts. You should do a job review, right? Why wait to hear from Jesus? Do it now. Job review. Or ask somebody else. I mean, this is important. This is extremely important. You understand this point here. So many people are just not doing this. As Christians, I mean, and they're lazy. Okay? This, God's given you what you have, and you are to use it and take care of it. One more thing related to this, this point. You hear some people say, and I've said this before here, I believe, at the pulpit. You hear some people say that you can be and do whatever you want. That's false. I just don't. I hate that when people say so I shouldn't hate it. But I don't like when people say that. 
You can't be whatever you want. You can't. One man, you know, God is sovereign. Man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps. We all know that. And so it doesn't mean we shouldn't work hard and try to achieve things or have goals. Uh, that's fine. Bottom line, though, God is sovereign. He makes us different, and he makes us different for his purposes, for his function. We need to understand that. And so, Luke 16.10. Luke 16.10. He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. There, there's a, there's a, a sense, too, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about this, but as you use what you have, then God will give you more. Okay? As you use what you have for God's purposes, God will then enrich you with more. And, and Bruce, when you read 2 Corinthians 9, that's sort of what it's talking about. God will give you more and more so that you then can serve him. That's what he wants. And so you to be faithful with what God gives you, to use it for what God wants and carry out then his work. So the question then, are you using the body God has given you for his work? Are you using your mind? Are you using the spiritual gifts? Are you using the money? Are you using the possessions for his work? Are you using the time that God gives you for his work? These are questions you should ask yourself. Again, this is very, very important. I, I, I've done this before, but I want to do it again. I, that, that song is so appropriate. The Take My Life song and just a few verses. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt choose. Just, it's just a good song that relates directly to what we're talking about here. But we continue on this subject. We're not done yet. We're going to talk a little more on, on money. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. This is a very specific area with money. And I think you can sort of see how you're doing pretty clearly with how you use your money, because money is something that you can see and count. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You heard about Silicon Valley Bank. It closed down the other day. They said it was the worst bank failure, second worst bank failure ever. Wow. And they said if things don't get shaping up here, there could be all the problems in this country. And I think there's going to be all kinds of financial problems in the, the years ahead. But who knows what's going to happen this next week? We don't know. But it might cause, you know, oh, how's my money? You know, I mean, there are runs on these banks, and there are people standing outside. And, and you, know, you know the way it is. They said 90% of the people are pretty rich that go to these banks, and they have something called FDIC. You know, you have federally insured money. And so it's up to 250000 I think. And so it said 90% of the people have more than 250000 in these banks, which means they will not. Good chance. Maybe, probably. They're guaranteed two fifty. That's all. So these people are millionaires. And, and this is Silicon Valley. You know what Silicon Valley out in California is? Big tech. 
It's a big tech bank, okay? Tons of, quote, rich people. But you think about yourself. How do you think about your money? This is really important, how you think about the money that you have. You, you don't have this stored-up attitude. Well, I got my money in my bank, and that's my money, and I can do whatever I want, and I'm fine. I got this much money, and everything's good. I got my retirement account, this much in the retirement account. We think this way a lot. We've got to be very careful, very, very careful with that whole thought. But the money you have, the money God has given you, is for God and his purposes. So again, are you using the money that God has for his purposes? Again, as I said, money is very tangible. You can see it. You can count it. You know exactly. You can know exactly how much you have. You can know how you use it. And you can know how you're using it for God and his purposes, okay? That's that's what I like about this. I mean, and God, too. Hey, money is very, very specific. And God wants us to give a portion of the money we have back to him because the money is God's anyway, right? We need to give a portion of his money that he's already given us to be managed over back to him. I believe the Bible says 10%, what we call the tithe. And so the money you have, whether it's money you've worked for or saved or whether somebody gives it to you, you tithe. And I believe off the gross, not the net. I mean, you get taxed off the gross, right? You know, the government gets theirs. Well, God should get his first, right? Don't you think that way? You bet he should. So this money is something that you can see, and God wants you to know and use it for his purposes. And so we should plan then to give, I believe, that 10% amount. That's what we should plan to do. Now, of course, I know there can be financial hardship. I understand that. Things are difficult. Things are tight. I, I would say this, though. I would say you should always be giving money. It was, well, I don't have much at all. Give something. If it's a dime, if it's a dollar or ten, give something, Okay. But shoot for 10%. In fact, shoot for more than that. You should say, man, I don't want to just give 10. I don't want to just be a 10%. I want to be a more than that. I want to be a 12 or 15 or a 20 or 30. Yeah, I've heard stories of some of these, these Christian millionaires, you know, and they give 90% of their money away or 95. Well, great, wonderful. They should. The Bible sort of instructs people like that. You got a lot of money, you should give a lot of money. God's bless you a lot, you give a lot. That's, that's a pretty normal understanding there. And so God wants to be giving. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This whole section, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Bruce read out of chapter 9, is about finances. It's about money. And, and I just want to read this. It's, just make a couple comments here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, first seven verses. It says, Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty over wealth overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. You see that? They're going through it. Difficulty. Their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. You see the attitude they had? Please, let us give. Let us give. You don't hear that kind of thought very much, do you? And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he had also completed in you the gracious work as well. So just as you abound in everything, in grace and utterance and knowledge, in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. And what is the work in these verses? Abound in this gracious work of giving. Be an excellent giver. 
We talk about being excellent in speech and excellent in the jobs we do. Excellent giver, too. I love this. This is the truth here. It's just it's very, very encouraging and instructive and sobering. Turn to Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Just some instructions on tithing here. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So we give to God, as I said before, we're giving back to him what is already his. And if we don't give to God, he'll get it from us sooner or later in one way or another. That's true. I know stories. You're not giving to God. It's financial difficulty, financial hardships, and God knows how to deal with us, okay? That's what will happen. If you don't give to God, he'll get it one way or the other. If you give to God, he will take care of you, and he will bless you, and he will keep giving to you. And these are the verses Bruce read. He'll keep giving to you so you can keep giving to others. Think of yourself being like a, a pipe, okay? You all know what pipes are. There's small pipes, there's big pipes, there's huge pipes. And you're a pipe, and the money is coming in, and it should be going out. Things coming in should be going out, not stopped up, okay? Not stored up, not stopped up. Comes in, goes out. Yes, you have enough for your own needs. That's what you should do. Of course, we understand that. But that's how you should think about this. And so, Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. In context, he's talking about a church that was giving to him, to Paul, and Paul says back, hey, you've been given to me. God's going to make sure he takes care of you. My God will supply all your needs. You see? That's, that's, it's, that, it's that verse in, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be given to you. Again, I'm not saying be unwise in how you manage your money. Make sure you have enough for yourself. You're not poor looking. You know, enough for nice enough clothes and food to eat and things, but still be a giver. And so this should be a goal of your life. I want to be a giver, even though, you know, I have a lot, but you have some. Just be giving. That's what God really wants for each one of you. Again, this is, is sobering. For to live our lives for God and not for self, but also very encouraging. As we think about this whole section on being a steward, on a manager, because God can use you, and God wants to bless you. And then God wants to reward you. This verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, All appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is how you live your life in this age relates to how you will live your life in the next age. Okay, that's, that's the truth. We got Luke 19 right here. These rewards, okay. Three, three ways we can be rewarded, I, I think, of three general ways, okay. And I, maybe there's more. One is it relates to our relationship with the Lord. John 14, 21 and 23, great verse I've read many times, talks about how God will cause us to have more of an intimacy. Well, Jesus is talking about it. He's talking about how I have more of an intimacy with him and with the Father if we are then ones who obey him as we do what he wants. So the reward that you have in the future relates to intimacy, your relationship with God first. Secondly, it relates to your relationships with people. Turn to Luke 6, 16. This is, this is a really interesting verse. 
it's, it's, it's sort of a standalone verse, even though there may be other verses that relate to this, but, but look at 16.9. And, and this whole context is about this, this person who was a manager and he wasn't doing a good job, but in that context, Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. This wealth of unrighteousness is money. Use money for the purposes of God, so that when it fails, when there's no more money, you'll be welcomed. What's it say? They, people, will receive you into the eternal dwellings. I really believe part of this reward relates to the relationship that you will have in the future as it relates to how you use your money for the good of others. See that? I love this. You'll be welcomed into their eternal dwellings. So we see that. We understand that. Luke 19, 17 to 19, 17 to 19 two different verses. But is that section where, you know, Jesus, the parable, had given out these minus to people, and they came back, and the one did a good job. And he said, you'll be in charge of ten cities. Some people think, well, that's not literal. I think it could be literal. The kingdom age, we're reigning with Christ. Revelation 5.10, and our reward. Hey, we are overseeing cities. You say, well, I don't want to do that. God will give you the ability. If you serve him now, God will grace you with tons of ability that you can do whatever he wants you to do. So the one verse 17 says 10 cities. You know what verse 19 says? Five cities. And the next one, the guy didn't do anything. He said, man, geez. And who knows, maybe it was one who wasn't even saved. So the point is it relates to the rewards you have. That's what we're talking about, being a good steward, being a good manager. It relates to then your rewards, your relationship with God, relationship with others, and then being one who is serving him. And so, important subject. Hang on to this one, okay? Think about it, because it relates. It's, it's so critical. Final subject is having hope. We've talked about this, of course, before, but it is so important for our lives. In fact, I'll make this one comment. I was... I was talking, talking to Raphael before. Raphael and Jorge went to the Shepherds Conference. It's what Gary and I went to back way back in 20 years ago. Went a number of years in a row out in California, John MacArthur's conference. And so MacArthur's had some health issues. He had some heart issues, some AFib things. And he's, but it's, so it's the first time he's really preaching. And, and I was talking to Marsha before. Because sometimes, it, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes it bugs me when I, different people, different groups, different associations said they've got to talk about hope more. They gotta talk about hope, and so here it is, you know. And I knew we were gonna go late because it's three hours earlier, and we're running eleven, eleven thirty. I said, "Man, I'm tired." And then we got last night too. So I'm sort of tired up here today, but I wanted to watch this. You know what he talked about? He talked about hope. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I would have adjusted a few things because I'm somewhat critical because I think about this subject a whole lot. But it was good. He's talking about hope from Zechariah, and that that's is so important that we do this. Anyway. We understand hope. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you with hope, fill you up with hope. And we live in a country where there's so many things, and we get burdened down. We need to be thinking about hope in the midst of our plenty, okay? It's so important. And so hope means you're looking forward to the future that God has for you. It means you're excited about the next life, the age to come. In fact, I'll, I will say this to you now. Was, I, right after that, I mean, it was about midnight, Friday night, and, and you know, I hear certain things. Cause I, you, might, you might wonder what, what affects, you know, when I write blog posts, you know, different things affect me. So at about midnight on Friday night, I said, you know, i got to talk about the millennial kingdom because he's talking about it here, but 
he, 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 it was all right, you know, what he did. He, he sometimes gets into the weeds of the word too much. I say it in the wrong way, but he gets into the details. He says, man, John, give the big picture. So my next blog, or maybe the second one down the road, is going to be on the Millennial Kingdom, which I've done before, but I'm going to really list out a number of elements because God wants to see what's going to happen. Here we are for, what, 70, 80, 90 years. We're going to be there for a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years, and so we need to know what it's about. And so, first of all, unbelievers have no hope, none, none. They live here. That's it. They might think they have hope. But if they're not a Christian, they have no hope. That's sobering. As Christians, we have hope. But sad to say, many Christians don't really know what this hit is, or they might know, but they don't think about it. They're not thinking about it, and they should be thinking about it. It says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And hope is important for, it's, 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 it's encouraging. It's that which helps you to be forward looking, and you need to be a forward-looking person. If you're not a forward-looking person, then you're stagnant. Think about just today and what happened yesterday or last year or whenever, okay? Philippians chapter 3. You know these verses, but this is, these are the, on what I just said, these are the best verses. Philippians three twelve to 14 Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus saved you and laid hold of you so that you then can lay hold of him and press on ahead to do what he wants you to do. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward that lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus forward-looking, okay? Hope helps you to be a forward-looking person. Hope helps you to work hard for the Lord in this life, knowing that you'll be rewarded in the next life. There's future value. There's future benefit of, 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 of serving him, and this hope helps you to serve him. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. it's an interesting verse, and you look at it out of, you, you, you can't look at it out of context. 1 Corinthians 15 is the single best chapter in the Bible about the resurrection. But the last half of the chapter really focuses on hope, on the future. It does. So therefore, what's the final verse to say? Therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hope produces that desire, that heart. Man, I'm going to work because i got hope. i got a reason to work. Hope helps you to get through the trials of life, for they produce really an eternal wane of glory. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 18. What is this hope? I've shared this many times. I'm going to summarize things here again. First, it means she'll be with Jesus. This is the most important aspect of hope, that, that you'll be with your Lord, Savior, and King, the one who loves you far more than anyone else. That's why that song we sang, Oh, How I Love Jesus, so good. Because we, we need to be stirred. See, man, if he, he loves me so much, I should love him, and I should love him far more than I love anybody else or anything else. That's the first point. Second, it means you'll be in heaven. You'll have a heavenly home. John 14, you know the verse where when we sing the song, you know, do not let your heart be troubled. I go and prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus says, okay? So when you think about heaven, there's two main things. One is it's a place. John 14 is a place. Then you go to Hebrews chapter 12, 22, 24, and it's people and beings in four types. There's, there's people, believers, that is. There's angels. There's Jesus Christ, and there's God in the Spirit because we can't see God. So that's what heaven is. It's a people it's, it's a place with beings, okay? 
and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. And I think our heavenly home, personally, is, is uh, they talk about this, this perfect cube in John, excuse me, Revelation 21, written by John. I believe it's about 1,478 miles on a side, this perfect cube. And I've done the math, and I didn't do it for you today. You know, you take 1,478 miles cube, plenty of room. I mean, you know, how far is from here to up north? What, do you go up to Boston? Is that, four, I don't know if that, that might be not even far enough. I think you have to go from here to Iowa to get 1,478 miles. It's a long way. Then you go up that far. So it's huge. I think that is our home, and we'll all have our place. So that's what I believe. Not exactly sure, but I think that's what makes sense. We'll be in this place that's talked about in Revelation chapter 21. Third, it means you'll be with other believers. And I really believe, to a large extent, with ones that you knew on this earth. Okay. Amelia is here today. His wife passed away recently. She's meeting a lot of people that she knew before, okay? I can't help but think she's met Vicki, who's up there, you know, or Cynthia, who passed away recently, too. Cynthia and Vicki were very good friends, okay? I can't help but think they've met already. So we talk about heaven. There's all kinds of relationships, and I think, you know, we've got all eternities. You're gonna meet, you'll meet David, and you'll meet Paul and all these people, but there'll be an intimacy as well. Perfect relationships, wonderful relationships, excellent relationships, perfect communication. I mean, you've all had good times with people. Hey, that was a nice lunch. That was really good. All the time like that. I mean, the fellowship will be phenomenal, just wonderful. Fourth, it means you'll have a new body. We've talked about this. This is Philippians 3. The Lord will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. So the body, simply put, it's going to be like Jesus' body. There's also 1 John chapter 3. And it's also like the angels. Luke talks about your body be like the angels. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. Sums this up very well. Four words it uses to describe this body. It's powerful. It's not weak. Those of you who are a little older know that your bodies can get weak. You have all the power you need. Immortal, which means never dies. Keeps going. Doesn't it get weaker? It just keeps going. All eternity. Glorious, third word that's used, means that it is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is perfect. It is perfectly designed for all that God has. As I told you before, I don't think you think we think about this, is that God has work for you to do in this life, right? And don't you think that God has work for you to do for all eternity? Yes, he's got it all figured out for all eternity. That's mind I can think of all eternity. He knows all that he wants you to do forever and ever and ever. That's the eternal God thinking about us, okay? And so you got this body, this powerful, immortal, glorious, spiritual body, which some ways seem like a, that's an oxymoron. You know, it's a spiritual, but it's a body. We don't think of our body being spiritual, but just spiritual body in the sense that God wants you to use your body primarily for spiritual means. So, for example, we think about that one little command, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Because you're a spiritual body, you can perfectly love God. You see, that, that's what we're saying. So those, those words. So that's just a few thoughts about the body. In fact, the, I wrote three posts in a row recently on this. If you go to the blog site, there's more there you can read about the new body. Fifth, it means you'll be perfectly and wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord and reigning with him. Perfect. Again, as I mentioned before, Revelation talks about how we'll reign with the Lord in heaven. Sixth, it means we receive rewards. I said before, too, I believe this relates to your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with others, and ways that you'll be serving him. And we just don't think this. I mean, that whole concept, you know, when you're little, oh, go go up to heaven and play in harps. Oh, terrible, terrible. There's so much more than that. It's just, 
Anyway, it's going to be good. It's going to be good what God has for you. Next, it means you receive an inheritance. This is not quite clear to me. And I, my only thought here is I believe this inheritance sort of relates to all that we've talked about. It says in Colossians 3, the rewards of the inheritance, okay? I think of the verse in Psalm 31, 19, how great is thy goodness which thou hast stored up for those who fear thee. That is, as children of God, we will inherit. God's got perfect blessings. And I don't think it's necessarily the same thing. You know, one-size-fits-all inheritance. I think it's a very unique thing that God gives us relative to this inheritance. So you have a wonderful hope. You need to think about it and look forward to it. And as you do, it'll be a motivation to you. We read this. I think it's in Colossians 1. talks about this hope is that which motivates you to be trusting God and loving God and loving others. So it's, it's a motivation. It helps you to live rightly. So it's an important part of the spiritual equation is having this hope that God wants you to have. In fact, I'll just give you a little a teaser here. The message this is on Palm Sunday, April 2nd, message I was working on it this past week, is, is, is Psalm 22, we think about, it, well, that's the suffering Messiah. But you know what people don't talk about much? You know, the whole last, I don't know, half the chapter, third of the chapter, is about hope. So Jesus was on the cross, and he was suffering, and he had faith, because that's another main theme of that psalm. I'm getting hit on myself here. But then the other theme is hope. He knew what this was going to turn out to be. He could see the future, and that helped him to keep going. He saw the future. He had hope. So that's amazing there. So we've looked at 12 marks, 12 qualities of a mature Christian. I'll review them. Knowing and loving God, knowing and believing the truths of God, living a holy life, walking with the Spirit, being humble, having faith, loving others, serving others, fulfilling our purpose. And today we talked about having godly speech, being a good steward, and having hope. Again, I encourage that. These are critically important. I, I might have missed one or two or something. I, if I went back, well, if you give me another Sunday, I might think of three more. This is sufficient, okay? If, if God helps you to grow in these areas, you'll be doing fine. But, but I want to say one thing. Pray this for yourself, but as it says in Colossians 4, I think it's 11 or 12, Epaphras, says he, that is, Epaphras is, is always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers so that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. I love that. It's a sum, summation of how to pray. You pray for others so that they may stand fully assured in the will of God. So pray that for yourself and pray that for others. Pray that for all of us. So we talk about these qualities. You know, you go home and think about yourself, what's going on in your life or your spouse or whoever. Think about the whole church. I mean, and, and I would hope that every day it may not be an individual thing. I mean, in fact, you know the way I, you know the way I pray? This may sound strange, but is, you know the way I pray for you guys? I think about where you're sitting. Okay, who's in the back? Okay, that's a, I'm, my eyes are closed. I'm thinking about where you're sitting. Okay, there's Charlotte. <laughs> you know, there's, there's Sandra, you know, I think. There's Doris over there. That's it. So, so pray individually, okay? That's good, but pray for the church. So it's, it's, it, what I would suggest is pray every, every day for the church. And, and with one more thought and prayer, then we'll close in. Prayer is, is in, in the back there, um, I got some calendars. It's, it's the Voice of the Martyrs calendar. I should have thought of this three months ago, but I didn't, because most of you probably already have your calendars. And, and, but, but I just thought of it, because I had this in my desk there, and I was looking at it. And, and what it does is... Every day, there's a different nation to pray for, okay? So, like, today's Kazakhstan, you know, and then the week, Uzbekistan, and then the next Sunday's Israel. 
And you know what Mark eleven seventeen says? My house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. This is so simple. So I strongly encourage you. I mean, strongly, strongly encourage you. Get a calendar. You can put it up someplace or on your desk. I don't care. And flip it open. Go to March. You don't have to go back. Go to March. Okay, what's the country? Today's Kazakhstan. Okay, and it, and it tells a real specific thing of how to pray. The specific thing, and that's fine. But pray for the, as it says in First Timothy, pray for the political leaders, but pray for the spiritual leaders. That's, that's probably really important. Pray, God, you'd raise up leaders. Pray that the gospel goes out, the disciples are just general things like that. Pray for that little thing they have there. That's fine. And I'm not, I don't think it has all the countries in the world, but it's got a lot of them. And maybe places you've not even heard. But this is so practical. Take one of those calendars, one per family. Take it home. And I told Raphael that whatever is left that he can have too. So it's not just, don't just take these for somebody else. I'm going to give him a calendar. No, this is for you here today, okay? And I might keep a couple aside for people I know that aren't here. But anyway, so do that. It is so, so how can we participate in the Great Commission? Pray for the nations. And this is one specific way. It's not overwhelming. It's one country a day. So that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. We bless you for your great love for us, your kindness, your mercy, and making us who we are. I think back to those verses in Jeremiah 1, how you made him just a certain way so he then could do what you wanted him to do. And I think of that for our own lives, Lord. You made us so we could have godly speech and so we could be good stewards, good managers, so we could be ones who could have hope and all these other things we've talked about the last few weeks here. But thank you so much that you give us your grace, you give us peace. Help us, Lord, to be ones who are holy and pure. Oftentimes this is our biggest problem. Uh, is that, is that, that verse in Psalm 119, it says, I've, I've kept uh, away from evil so that I might obey your commands. And, and really that's a true thing because we go through life, we're tempted to do wrong, we're tempted to think wrong or say something wrong and Stay away from evil so you can do what's right. Help us to be holy vessels, I pray for that, God, so we can then be and do all that you want. So thank you. Thank you for each one here. Again, use us, those who aren't here, Lord. Pray that you would help them, encourage ones who aren't feeling good as well. Pray for them, Father. You give them your grace and peace. And thank you for Raphael and Jorge. And I just pray that their, their minds are just filled up with things they learned in the last few days at the Shepherds Conference. I pray that you really encourage them and strengthen them and help them apply the things they need to apply. But again, thank you for your great love for us. That Psalm 36 is so good. Your loving kindness, high as the heavens. Thank you, Lord, for this time together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.